The scripture tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third day there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. The word of the Lord. Epiphany. Epiphany is the season of the church year that follows Christmas and precedes Lent. It's called Epiphany this season, I think, because the holiday or feast or celebration of Epiphany is, you know, um, like during that season of Epiphany. Think. Yeah, see, Epiphany, the holiday or feast or celebration, is the day that, um, isn't it weird? Like, what you call it makes you feel like, think different things, like totally different things about it. Like, if you call Epiphany a holiday, it makes you feel like, um, you get the day off school or work or something, you know? And then, like, if you say Epiphany is a feast, then you think, like, you get to sit at a really long wooden table in a castle and eat one of those big turkey-leg things and drink mead out of a jar. Yeah, but, like, if you, you know, if you call it um, a celebration, like the celebration of Epiphany, well, then it just, like, seems fake. Doesn't it? Because, you know, it's like, you know you're not really going to have a celebration for Epiphany. And, I don't know. Well, I guess it's not really like we have feasts either. Although, I'd like to have a feast. One of them turkey legs things. And, of course, you're not ever going to get off school or work for Epiphany. So, I guess it doesn't matter what you call it. But of course, you know, um, Epiphany was a, yeah. So Epiphany um, could seem kind of lame, like given all those things. I know. No feasts, no celebration, no day off work, 
But it's not lame at all. It's because um, it's all about seeing God or God making God's making an appearance or God revealing God's self or, you know, specifically, it is Jesus being revealed to the Gentiles as God, as the Christ, the Messiah of God, by, through the Magi. This event, I mean, what does it mean if you call it an event? I don't know. This occasion is remembered or marked, noted on January 6th, which is the 12th day of Christmas. Of course, in the Eastern Church, it's the 19th of January, which is still the 12th day of Christmas for them because they have a different calendar. I know this doesn't really help it seem less lame. Sorry. But it's not lame at all. No, it's really, think about it. It's the manifestation of God, God's revelation of God's self. This whole season is about God revealing God's self, making an appearance. Epiphany is also used like to talk about a sudden intuitive perception of or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something, usually initiated by some simple, homely, or commonplace occurrence or experience. I mean, just off the top of my head. <laughs> Which is super great, I think. I mean, have you ever had an epiphany like that? I have. I have, you know, where all of a sudden you're like thinking about something or you're not thinking about something and then you like notice a tree and then it makes you realize like you know something, you have an intuitive perception or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something. I love it when that happens. I like it a lot. You know, it's like... Um, it's just like this brilliant ray of sunlight shines on something and you like see it for the first time ever. What it really is, you know, what it's really about. You understand it like you really get it all of a sudden. You realize, you know. What? You realize what? See, that's what they don't tell you about epiphanies in dictionary.com, you know. That you almost never remember an epiphany. You know, Wikipedia doesn't mention the fleeting nature of epiphanies. I mean, I've had epiphanies, sudden realizations, insights into the essential meaning of something. But I don't really remember what they were about. It's more like I remember the sensation of an epiphany, you know, but not really the content. And even if I do remember the content, it doesn't really seem to quite have the same, you know, weight as it did during the epiphany. I mean, and having had this experience several times, not remembering what it was about, I decided I would try and write it down if I ever had an epiphany. I did. I had this epiphany, and I wrote it down on the scrap of paper, and I stuck it in my journal. So I would not forget this profound and sudden insight into... I had to go find it to look. So, I, I, so I, I put it in my journal. I looked and I pulled it out in preparation for this sermon. I found it. And you know what it said? This epiphany? God loves us. Good. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's true, you know. 
Um, I like it. But somehow when I read it on this scrap of paper, it didn't quite have the same, you know, like zing that it had before, you know? It's nice. God loves us. Good. Back at you, God. <laughs> you know? But I remember having this epiphany, like, so vividly, you know, so vividly. I didn't really remember that God loves us part, but I remember, okay, it was like two winters ago, and it was so cold outside. It was like, really, like 20 below. And I was going in my driveway from my car to my back door, because I wanted to get in quick, and I just stepped up on the porch, and there was this moon, like this huge bright, bright moon, it stopped me. It stopped me, and I looked up at the moon, and I exhaled. And it was so cold that the moisture in my breath, like, crystallized. And the moon, like, reflected in these crystals and the moisture of my breath. And there it was. I was overwhelmed. It was a physical sensation. I had this epiphany. I remember that so vividly, but I didn't remember what it was until I went and I looked at the scrap of paper. Now looking back, I don't know. I think I knew God loves us before that. But that night there, I mean, tears welled up in my eyes. God loves us. Huh. Um... It, this could be me. This part could just be me. Did you ever confuse Jesus and Robin Hood? I mean, that part could just be me. Because, you know, I mean, they both lived, like, in the olden times, right? And they both wore, like, kind of, like, olden time clothes, you know? I mean, they did. And they were always, like, walking everywhere, right? Both of them walking around the countryside with the band of merry men, you know, they're, very, they're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, right? Turning over the money changers' temples and then, like, getting out of there in some miraculous way before the king's guards get them, you know? And, like, you know, Jesus walking along through Sherwood Forest and he looks up in that tree and sees Zacchaeus, you know? They both, <laughs> both have these followers named John they meet along the way, right? They're both lords, you know? Robin is Lord of the Loxley Manor, right? And, you know, yeah, no, Robin of Loxley, he goes off to fight the Crusades, you know, as a very young man, but he realizes that war in the name of God is meaningless. So he returns to England to live a life of peace and simplicity. But he returns to find that an evil regime is oppressing the people. And he's branded a criminal for standing up to the powers. And so he takes to the forest with his 12 disciples. And he teaches them how to use bows and arrows. You know, but he's always showing up at the castle in disguise, right? And freeing someone or disrupting some feast or something. Um, and getting the better of the sheriff of Nottingham or the high priest or someone. And he steals the food and wine and gives it out to the poor villagers. Today's text is one of those Robin Hood Jesus stories. Jesus shows up to this grand wedding, right, with his disciples. 
And no one really notices him or really knows who he is. But his mother, Lady Mary, is there. You know, and it's, it's all, there's, it's, as it happens, there's all this merriment is going on. Good, big wedding party in the castle. And the wine runs out. And Lady Mary, knowing the true nature of her son, asks him to do something about it. And he feigns surprise, almost offense. He says, Mother, what does this have to do with you or me? And he winks at her, right? My time is not yet come, he says. But Mary just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus is moving around the edges of the party with a sly grin. And he spies six stone jars, right, that are used for purification rituals. He gets an idea. And he motions the servants over, and he tells them, go and fill those all to the brim with water. And so the servants do, and then he says to the servant, now draw some out and bring it to the steward. So the servant does it. He brings it to the steward, and the steward tastes this water, which has now become wine, and calls to the bridegroom. He says to him, well done, well done, impressive. Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. And he slaps the groom on the back, and the groom looks... I don't know, he looks over and he catches Jesus' eye, and Jesus smiles at him and winks. And then Jesus turns to the servant that brought the wines, and he winks again. And then the steward says to the servant, what are you waiting for? Serve this incredible wine. And the lute strikes up, and they all dance and drink the wine. The party goes on. Merriment has been saved. And Mary raises her glass to her son, who pretends that he doesn't know why she's making such a fuss. It could just be me. You know, but what's crazy about this, it's... How is this epiphany? Why do they pick this? I mean, this is... Why do they pick this Robin Hood story as epiphany? What God reveals God's self in Jesus, in this story. Nobody even really knows that Jesus did a miracle. I mean, the couple people do, the stewards, his mom. How is this God revealing God's self in Jesus? I mean, everybody's practically drunk already. It says right here when God reveals God's self. There's just more, better wine. It's a weird epiphany. It seems like surely there must be some better way for God to reveal God's self. In Emerson's essay on love, he says that our journey through life, in our journey through life, that um, first we love ourselves. Then we come to love another. And then finally, we love God. Billy had it backwards. Or so it seemed to him. Billy was that kind of person. You know, when one looked at him, it was hard to tell if he was like 29 or 69. And sometimes he had the air about him of an eight-year-old boy. Like, eager, curious, confident, 
but not yet capable of filtering his thoughts or emotions, expressing himself readily. But at other times, it was easy to see in Billy a very old man, weary, pensive, whose expression and carriage bore the signs of a lifetime under gravity's pull. He'd always found Emerson simplistic and confounding. Surely life and love do not move in an ordered progression from the self to the infinite. At his age, which whatever age we might guess he is, at his age, Billy thought things like love and God should have been settled long ago, worked out, understood, But we know differently, you and I. We know a secret, a secret that we're not telling Billy.